Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, Beatles fans, and welcome back to episode 21 of I Saw the Beatles. This week, we have a very special guest and friend of mine named T. Morgan. Uh, He's been a longtime on-air personality. Um, Most of his time, I believe, has been spent in Philadelphia on-air. He's known uh, all around Philadelphia and is in the Broadcast Pioneers Hall of Fame in Philadelphia. Hi, T. How are you this morning? I'm excellent, Jennifer. How are you doing? I'm, I'm great. I love having radio personalities on here. You just sound terrific. Um, I always say I have I have a voice that's meant for silent silent movies. <laughs> not, not true. Not true. <laughs> um, so it's good to have a great voice, you know, to to entertain my listeners. Uh, so you've been in in the radio business for how long? Well, some would say too long, actually, but uh, <laughs> I've been in the uh, broadcast business, so to speak, and it is a business, since I was 15 years old. And I, 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 you know, you have to read my book to get the whole story, Confessions of a Teenage right. Disc Jockey. By the way, I thank you for doing a review on that. Um, it, it, it tells the whole story of how it happened. And it, I think I've been very fortunate, of course, Luck to me has always been being prepared for an opportunity, but I was always prepared. I, when I was a teenager, music was my life. I knew everything about every song that was out. I could tell you the, the label, uh, the, how long the song was, who wrote it, everything. And that knowledge led to an opportunity to be on the air at 15 years old. Right. I wasn't what, where were you at the time? It wasn't Scranton? Oh, it wasn't, no, it wasn't in Philadelphia. It was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, the station was, uh, if memory serves, I think it was 500 watts at night and 1,000 watts during the day. 500 watts got you to, well, we lost West Grand. I mean, you know, I mean it, it, was, mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't that powerful. But it was an opportunity to learn and grow. Wonderful. And so, you know, this is, this is in the 60s, can I guess? Yeah. Well, uh, then what happened was then um, – I was a pretty good athlete, and I was fortunate enough to get a, a, an athletic scholarship to, to LaSalle University here in Philadelphia. And this actually was only the second time that I was ever in Philadelphia was when I came to go to school here. The first time I came to see the Phillies and visited my uncle, who ironically lives or lived at the time about two blocks from where I live now. <laughs> it's really funny. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah. And, in fact, I ended up dating a girl who lived in the same apartment. So we're getting off the beaten course here, but yeah, anyway, come around full circle. Yeah. yeah. So I came to Philadelphia, not thinking about being on the air because I mean, Philadelphia is a major market, you know, you -hmm. just don't come out of nowhere and be on the, on the market. But I uh, had this, this idea with things going on, not only with the Beatles, but the whole British invasion and Bob Dylan and things like that, that those people weren't getting enough airplay. Of course, the Beatles were because they had a million hit records, but people mm-hmm. who were selling albums and not singles weren't getting the, the, the just uh, 
rewards. So what I did was I approached the radio station, making a long story short, and said, here's my idea. And initially they rejected it. And then they called me up and said, we decided to do it. And I ended up using my own record collection because they didn't even have the records that I wanted them to play. So it was, it was a lot of fun back in the day. Yeah. Did, um, so what kind of music were they playing at the time? Uh, they were playing oldies. Of course, oldies, the definition of oldies then was different than now. I think they were playing mainly music from the fifties and, and early sixties and things like that. Um, it was, uh, it wasn't. It was doing okay, but they, the the owner, God bless him, I, he's still alive in Wallace. I think you know, in the day when he actually had an owner and not a corporate entity take over a radio station, he um, he saw something in this, and uh, we went from there. And it, it, it it amazed me. It went from me thinking that I was talking to a small circle of friends uh, mm-hmm. to uh, the electric factory opening up and. Then that became too small a venue. Then the Spectrum selling out. And I mean, it was just nuts to Woodstock. I mean, come on. How many people showed up for that? It just yeah, became a, yeah. huge, a huge phenomenon. Yeah. So in 1966, uh, you see an ad in the newspaper. Yeah. If memory serves, that, that's true. Exactly what happened. Um, I was, it was during the summer as I recall, and Mm -hmm. I was looking for something to do during the summer. And I saw this ad and it said it was by the Pinkerton detectives. I'm not even sure they're still alive. That organization, (laughs) they did things. They guarded people and were bodyguards and things like that. So they wanted big, strong guys. Well, I, I fit the part about being big and strong, but I didn't fit the part about the age limit. Uh, I wasn't old enough. So what I did was I applied anyway. I said, what have I got to lose? So I applied, mm-hmm. and they didn't even ask my age or anything. I was surprised at that. They accepted me, and I thought, well, when I go in there, they're going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a little too young for this. But much to my surprise, they did not. They, I guess I looked older than I was. What was the age limit? How old I think it was 21. Oh, okay. I think, I think that was the age limit. You had to be mm-hmm. 21. So um, uh, the thing that was really funny about it is when I went in there, they, they have uniforms. They're, uh, they're long all the way to your, your uh, ankles, coats that mm-hmm. you wear. And, of course, this is summertime. It's full of warm. And uh, these hats that look like, you know, maybe cab drivers used to wear, th- those kind of things. Mm-hmm. A little badge and everything looking real official. But the thing that was funny about it was they actually had barbers on hand to cut people's hair if their hair was too long. <laughs> and, and here we are going to see the Beatles. You know? Right, right. That, and that was the part that we, we didn't mention was this, this is a security. This is a job to be a security officer. Right, yeah. At so the Beatles I, I, concert I, in August of 1966 at JFK Stadium and big open football stadium in, in Philadelphia. And how many guys were there? Do you remember? I don't how remember how many, uh, how many people were there. We were, I don't think we were all in one place at the same time. Anyway, they spread us all right. out to, to guard various sections. So they didn't want the crowd rushing the stage. They knew from previous adventures that uh, the kids would do that. So uh, I got fairly close to the, to the stage. The thing that was amazing to me was in they didn't really see 
a need to open up the entire stadium. So the, the, the Beatles were performing like in the end zone of the football field and that little you know, behind the end zone section was open. I guess there may have been 20,000 people there, something like that, 25 max, when a stadium held 110,000. And they could have said yeah, I was going to say, I looked it up this morning and it said it held 102. Um, that was before the end zone bleachers went in. There was an open end of the right, U shaped. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and there the, was only, the only about 20,000? I, I would guess it held about 20,000, that one, like the end of the, hoosh, uh, the horseshoe thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was obviously sold out. And I think they could have probably sold. 60, 70, 80,000 tickets easily had they done that, but they didn't. Uh, I, I, the day of the big concerts hadn't come yet. So they really didn't uh, have the, the foresight to think that, well, if we opened up the whole thing, I think they were embarrassed to think that, well, if we didn't get a whole 80,000 in here, it, w- it would be really embarrassing. So I, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't, but I, I found that to be very, very strange. So the field, let me. <clears throat> As I said, usually they played, you saw them in in, um, in baseball fields. But as I said, this was a football field. Um, this was a so football was, field. In fact, the only time I've ever had been there before was to see the Army-Navy game. My father took me every year because he was a commander in the Navy. And that was a big deal to go to the Army-Navy game. I, I remember uh, seeing, um, I think it might have been the first time that it happened, where JFK actually walked across the field at halftime. I forget which side he was on first, but he was on maybe the Navy side first and he walked across the field and then was on the, on the army side. And that was sold out. You couldn't get a ticket for that game, even though it was a huge stadium. Right. So tell us, tell us what it was like to be, you know, uh, a security guard during, this is, this is all new. This is this, to me, this is just, you know, really incredible to hear what it's like to be a security guard during a Beatles concert. Tell us what that's like. Well, it rallied, the, the, the crowd was so busy jumping up and down and screaming. They didn't rush the stage or anything like that, but the noise was like a jet plane taking off. You couldn't really hear the band. You could hear it kind of, but they could have lip synced. Mm-hmm. They could have done anything and no one would have noticed the difference. The thing that was really funny is that a couple of guards who were standing around with me guarding, they went, oh, my God, these people are awful. What, what's this noise? They don't even know how to play. Ah, what? This isn't music. You know? <laughs> I heard this I'm going, hey, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to get a little closer. <laughs> <laughs> Did, um, you know, here you are, a young man, not yet 21, in a stadium filled with very excited female young girls. Was there any chance you were uh... – Hoping to, you know, get some action, meet some girls. <laughs> no, that never crossed my mind to be honest. I, I was there <laughs> you were more excited Beatles. about seeing the Beatles than you were. About I was this. more excited about seeing the Beatles and getting paid for it. Oh, yeah. Not Isn't only that, did I get in free, I got our, paid. Yeah, that would be our everybody's dream job. Can I please, you know, you know, anything related to the Beatles and to get paid to do it. Um, but we all can't be Andre Gardner. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, oh, the, T, there's so many things that we could talk about. I know that, you know, I read your book, and as you said, I did, did read it. Let's, it. It's called Confessions of a Teenage Disc Jockey. Um, 
I think the only place it's available is on your website. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only place. I've sold a lot through the website and, of course, you know, various personal appearances and things like that. But uh, I actually was approached by a publishing company that was interested in, in, in doing the book. And we had this big meeting in their fancy office and mm-hmm. marble desk and the whole bit. And after they explained to me exactly, and in fact, if you go to my website, tmorganaligned.com, you can click on to one of the podcasts I did was explaining the, the perils of publishing. And it really is a, I don't know, you know, but anyway, so after hearing what they wanted to do and lose that, I knew I was going to lose control of the book. They wanted, I had an idea what I wanted for a cover. I wanted to keep it black and white to make it look mm-hmm. like old days. And there's various things I wanted to have like the little swirkle circles around to make it look like it was an album cover. And these mm-hmm. are all my ideas and friends of mine. I have a friend of mine who was an artist to help put some of this together and they didn't want to do any of that. And they wanted to, to have this, this tour. I'm going like, but outside of Philadelphia, no one really knows who I am. Why would I do a tour? You know, I'm, all these different things. So I didn't want to lose control. So I mm-hmm. thought, but not only that, by the time they explained the whole royalty thing, I knew that I wasn't going to make any money on the book anyway. So what's the point? So I decided to self-publish, which ended up becoming a, a real problem in itself, which, again, I referred to the website to find out more about that, but mm-hmm. I was glad I did because uh, I, I also investigated things like Amazon and they wanted so much money. There was no way I was going to make any money. I still didn't make a lot right. of money. At least I did it my way and not the way that but, these other people wanted done. Right. And that's, 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 you know, as, as a publicist to, you know, work with a lot of self-published authors, um, that seems to be what it's all about these days is, keeping control of your work and your words because publishing companies tend to want to, you know, sensationalize some of the stories. And as I said, I've read your book and your stories are, are really great. I mean, you've worked with absolutely everybody um, recording artists uh, throughout the years and you have some great stories in there, including the story about, you know, being the, <laughs> Sorry, it still makes me laugh. I'm picturing you in that uniform, uh, being a security guard at a Beatles concert. Um, so if people want to pick up your book, uh, they can order it through your website, tmorganonline.com, and I assume they'll get a signed copy? I still know how to write. I, I flunked <laughs> handwriting in grade school, so be forewarned. You may not be able to understand anything I write in the book, but... <laughs> I will autograph uh, it and, and leave a message. Yeah, well, you're known for your voice. And as I said, I think anybody, you know, across the country, no matter where you're at, I know you're you're well-known, very well-known in this area, the Philadelphia area, but uh, your stories are universal. Um, and I think it's great to read about the early days of the radio industry and uh, about, you know, you creating the – you know, um, classic, well, we call it classic rock now, you know, but at the time it was rock, you know, albums uh, format on radio. Um, And it was such a pleasure to talk to you, T, again. It's been my pleasure. And I think the real thing that I could give you as a takeaway from a lot of this is not only in the book, but it's just in being in radio at that time was so different because 
except for maybe the Beatles and Rolling Stones, you could get to talk to these people all the time backstage. Now there's a million security guards that won't let you anywhere near these people. They don't, they, they just don't even want to talk to anybody. They want to be bothered. So it's a whole different uh, ball game right now. So I actually got to know some of these people fairly well. I don't have any real close friends. Uh, I have a couple like Rick Lee from 10 years after. He's a very good friend of mine. We communicate at least once a week, even though he's in England. Uh, Mm -hmm. But for the most part, my lifestyle was a lot different than uh, these people. I was never into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which surprises a lot of people when they read the book. That's one of the confessions. No, sorry, didn't do any drugs. (laughs) Just couldn't. I was an athlete. You know, you had this mentality like, whoa, you you don't want to do that. And when you're really into the music, why distort it? You know? Yeah, I never understood that. that. One of the conversations I had, actually almost an argument with Eric Burden was, he kept claiming that um, drugs enhanced his performance. And after seeing his performance, after our conversation, I said, well, he may think it enhanced it, but it was awful. It was really a bad performance. (laughs) Had he seen his performance? I'm sorry? Had Had he seen his performance? Who Eric Burden? Yeah, I mean you. Oh yeah, yeah, I you saw know. him perform, and he was with War, and he did a spill the wine version that was 20 minutes long with incoherent talking for at least uh, 15 of those 20 minutes, and it was just it was boring. It was just awful, and he thought it was great. Well, if you want to read or you know want to read more of T and hear about more of T's stories, uh, please. Please contact him through his website, uh, tmorganonline.com, and order his book. It tells some great stories of early rock and roll radio and uh, up until current. Thank you again, T. Uh, My pleasure, time, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Be my pleasure. And to every. And to everybody else, thank you for listening in on another episode of I Saw the Beatles, and come back next week for another exciting show.